Good morning. A number of years ago, I was on my way to Edmonton with a colleague, and along Highway 2, we passed what was then the Money's Mushroom Factory, and I made some comment about it, and he snorted negatively, and so I was interested, and I said, you don't like mushrooms? And his answer was, why would I eat anything that grows in crap in the dark? Actually, he said a different word, but because this is a G-rated sermon, we have to deal with that. So I've thought about that many times in many different contexts. Those are the two things in our lives that we really struggle with, aren't they? What we would call crap and darkness. The the prevailing sense that we're cut off, that we're alone, that we're isolated. How can there be anything good in the dark? Just this week, I had a fishing client who, uh, on the second day of our time together, made a comment that when we had landed at the takeout spot the previous night, he, he was taken back to a time not that long ago when, as we pulled out of the river, he received a phone call only to find out that his 45-year-old daughter had been found dead. That was six years ago, and still it was as fresh in his mind as if it happened just this year. He'd been living and continues to live with the darkness of losing a child. Paul Simon called darkness my old friend, and with his background, my suspicion is that... um, He took it from Psalm 88, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. Darkness can be beautiful. It can also be overwhelming and threatening and haunting. Its presence can shake us to the depths of our being. We speak of the darkness of sin and the darkness of depravity and the darkness of this world, and all of them are appropriate metaphors in some ways. But what happens when the darkness comes to a person of faith? Well, that's easy, we say. You keep praying and God opens the door and the light shines in again. Well, what if that doesn't happen? What if the darkness remains? What are we to do with that? How are we to understand that enduring darkness in the life of a person of faith? Psalm 88 is arguably the darkest psalm in the Psalter. It's disturbing because it's the anguished shout of a faithful person from the darkness of his life. Walter Brueggemann calls it, quote, the angriest, most hopeless of the complaint psalms, which ends in unreserved, unrelieved gloom. The scholar Martin Marty calls it a wintry landscape of unrelieved bleakness. The commentator Derek Kidner says there is no sadder prayer in the Psalter. Doesn't this sound like a great thing to talk about on Sunday morning in worship? This psalm has no happy ending. Literally, the last word of the psalm in Hebrew is darkness. And yet it is something important to teach us about the way we view our daily walk with God and the way we talk to God. When we look at the Bible, we discover that there are certain facts about darkness. 
First of all, it can be external, the result of circumstances in our life, like my friend who lost his daughter. Some of you have lost jobs during this COVID time. (coughs) Excuse me. All kinds of things can create external darkness. There can also be internal darkness. The, The preacher Spurgeon was subject of great fits of depression and despondency. He referred to it as the old black dog. Sometimes we can be the victim of both the internal and the external, as was the case for the psalmist in Psalm 88. Darkness can last a really long time. This particular incident, the psalmist tells us he's, he's suffered it since his youth. Here are some things you need to know about darkness. The presence of darkness doesn't mean God's absence. The presence of darkness doesn't mean God's defeat. It doesn't mean God's displeasure. Job's friends made all of those mistakes in understanding the darkness that was all around his life. It's also important that you understand that God doesn't say he'll remove or explain or redeem our darkness. Now you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, what about Romans 8? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. I agree. But can you show me anywhere in there where he tells us that we will know the good that he's making out of those things? We just assume it. Nothing in Scripture tells us that God's going to remove the darkness. If he does, it's a bonus. It's not something that's due to us sort of for good behavior in the darkness. And so knowing something of darkness then, let's explore the way we talk in the dark, which is really a lot of what this psalm is about. Again, Walter Brueggemann, the the Old Testament scholar, uh, in his book, Praying the Psalms, talks about the way the Hebrews talk to God, especially in the complaint psalms. And he says they're brash, they're arrogant, they're demanding. It's as raw as can be. And, And he says this, quote, Most of the Psalms can only be appropriately prayed by people who are living on the edge of their lives, sensitive to the raw hurts, the primitive passions, and the naive elations that are at the bottom of our life. Our author is a man named Heman. And as we read this Psalm, you discover that Heman has all the filters off as he addresses God. But do not forget, this is critical. He's addressing God. He's not talking about God. He's talking to God. And that's critical to our understanding of this song. And so as we go through it, it's already been read for you by my daughter-in-law. Let me just point out some things. He's praying. This is a prayer. It's a public prayer. How often is he praying? He says day and night in verse 1. He says every day in verse 9. He says in the morning in verse 13. He's overwhelmed with troubles. His perception is that he's near death, he says in verse 3. That reminds me of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians where he talks about things being so difficult in his life that he despaired even of his life. He's like one without strength in verse 4. He's as one dead, no longer remembered, cut off from God's care, verse 5. Verse 6 says, 
He is as low as he can get, and he feels like he's shrouded in darkness. One of the three times that word appears in the psalm. Verse 7 says he perceives himself to be under God's wrath and overwhelmed by its consistent punishing or battering. He repulses his closest friends that they're, that the, so that they're no longer with him. He's alone. He feels trapped, verse 8. He's grieving to the point where he can't even see clearly, verse 9. And then he launches into a set of rhetorical questions that are accusations and exaggerations. But he's making a point. And the point is, killing me isn't going to bear witness for you among the dead, God, because the dead don't care. So what are you doing? Verses 15 to 18, he basically sums up by asking, why aren't you answering? Why are you overwhelming me with terror? Why is there no relief? Why is darkness my closest friend? It's important to understand that we have emotions. God gave them to us, and they're an important part of our lives, but they shouldn't make decisions for us. However, God cares about them, and we should feel free to express them to him. Interestingly, despite the tone of this psalm, we can talk about the good that's produced in the dark. Do you know that darkness is actually the way of things in this world without God? It doesn't seem like it because the sun shines so often, but there's a darkness Remember Isaiah chapter 9? We, we trot it out every Christmas. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Why would that matter unless the norm was being violated? And darkness is the norm. Romans 1 talks about how Human beings who reject God become darkened in their understanding. It's normal. Darkness shows us that this present world is not the final order of things. I like that thought. Whether it's COVID like we're experiencing now, whether it's potential financial crisis like might be in the world's near future, it doesn't matter where the darkness comes from or what it's like. It is not the end. There's a time coming, the book of Revelation says, when there will be no more darkness, no more night. That's the way of things that God intends. Another thing that we need to know about darkness, our darkness, is that it's always relativized. What do I mean by that? Well, from our perspective, it seems absolute, especially when it lingers. It's like this cloud that we literally can't get out of, and it's, it's all-encompassing. We are experiencing the wrath of God, the absence of God, any of those things. But it's not absolute. It's relative. It's relative to who we are. It's relative to our perspective. It's relative to many different things. How do we know that? 
Because when Jesus went to the cross and when he gave his life, do you remember John records darkness came over the land? And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only Jesus experienced absolute darkness. The absolute forsakenness from God. And because he did, he provides hope for us in the face of unrelenting darkness. The ultimate darkness has been experienced and conquered. And our darkness, therefore, is relative. What can darkness do in us? Three things. It can produce deeper character. How does that happen? Well, the tendency of the darkness is to make us panic. To disorient us. To, to get us to stop doing what we've been doing. Even the right things that we know we should be doing. And so when we face the darkness in faith, when we're forced to develop deeper character, because there's no incentive. And I'll say more about that in a minute. Think of those um, three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember what they said just before they were thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace? Listen, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, our God can save us. But whether he saves us or not, we aren't going to worship your idol. Talk about character in the face of darkness. Second thing that darkness does is it refines our faith. Why are you believing what you believe? How many times have you heard someone say, well, you know, even if you struggle with some of the larger issues of Christianity, think of it this way. It gives you a better life. But that's not the point. Peter, when faced with the reality of following Jesus, do you remember in John 6, uh, Jesus talks about eating his body and drinking his, or eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and, and people understood what he was talking about, this need to totally identify with him. And they began to leave him in droves. So much so that I think even Jesus was discouraged. And he turns to the disciples who remain and he says to them, what about you guys? Are you going to leave too? Do you remember what Peter said? Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. His faith was being refined. It had a lot more refining to happen, but... Same thing when he denied Jesus. Was that the end for Peter, or did he come through it deeper? Faith refined. <clears throat> the third thing that darkness will do for us is purge us of the selfish motives of faith. You know, in the book of Job, Satan comes to God, and in accusing Job, he says, essentially, you know, okay, sure, you say that Job is a really righteous man, but the only reason he's righteous is because of the benefits he gets from righteousness. Let's be honest. Most of us come to Christ initially for what we get. Freedom from guilt, um, some kind of change in our life, a new direction, hope that we didn't have before. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's immature. It's childish. And as we mature, we're supposed to think and act as adults. And darkness helps us with that. Because you see, if you've been doing the dance for the applause and there's no applause coming, the great temptation is to quit dancing. If you've been following God, because actually there's a lot of kind of collateral benefits, and then there aren't any, you're faced with the question, is it still worth it? Why am I doing this? I heard a friend preach in Hebrews 12 once, and, and while I don't remember sermons very well, which is kind of sad, but I'll never forget what he said. It's guided my life all these years. He said, fundamentally, if God isn't enough, then what is? And that's the question that rings through the darkness. Will you still follow me without seeing, trusting me? The darkness can produce good in our lives. So then what are we to conclude about God in the darkness? Let me read some scripture to you. First one is from 1 John 1. Most of these are familiar to you. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. Psalm 139, verse 12. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Or John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. One of the David Psalms, Psalm 18, verse 28. David says, My God turns my darkness into light. Perhaps the most famous Psalm of all, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. A number of years ago, I was encouraged to buy an album by a man named Greg Ferguson. And one of the songs in that album that I like a lot is a song called Sweet Morning Light. And I mostly like it for this one line. He says, I will trust in the darkest night what I knew to be true when I last saw daylight, moved by faith and not by sight, till at last I see what was promised to me. On the distant horizon, the first sign of sweet morning light. Friends, there are times in our lives where darkness descends and doesn't leave quickly. Sometimes it's a chronic illness. Sometimes it's a tragic loss. Sometimes it's um, depression or despondency. Sometimes it's the result of a bad choice that we can't get out of. Faith at its fundamental level is actually a fairly simple choice. Will you believe and follow God 
Or will you give in to the darkness and be overcome? Is God just as true about himself in the darkness as he is when there's light? You have to decide. Is God who he says he is? When the world is crumbling around us, is God still in control? Is it still the wisest thing to walk toward him in obedience to him? It's your choice. The encouraging thing about Psalm 88 actually comes from research from the title, or at least the the superscription about the author, because the author is a man named Heman. And it turns out, most scholars think, that Heman referred to there is actually the one who was in charge of the worship in the temple. You read about the Psalms of Asaph? Asaph was Heman's assistant. And so even though Heman could be so so totally frank and honest about this enduring darkness, it didn't stop him from looking to God. Even here, this psalm is not a complaint about God, it's a complaint to God. He believed God. He trusted that God heard him, even if the heavens seemed silent. So let me close with the lyrics from a song by Brian Dirksen. Because it expresses the way we should walk in darkness. Dirksen writes, I don't know what this day will bring. Will it be disappointing? Filled with longed for things? I don't know what tomorrow holds. Still I know I can trust your faithfulness. I don't know if these clouds mean rain. If they do, will they pour down blessing or pain? I don't know what the future holds. Still, I know I can trust your faithfulness. Certain as the rivers reach the sea, certain as the sunrise in the east, I can rest in your faithfulness. Surer than a mother's tender love, surer than the stars still shine above, I can rest in your faithfulness. I don't know how or when I'll die. Will it be a thief or will I have a chance to say goodbye? No, I don't know how much time is left. But in the end, I will know your faithfulness. Listen to these words. When darkness overwhelms my soul, when thoughts and storms of doubt, still I trust you are always faithful. Always faithful. Certain as the rivers reach the sea, certain as the sunrise in the east, I can rest in your faithfulness. Surer than a mother's tender love, surer than the stars still shine above, I can rest in your faithfulness. That's Psalm 88. The darkness isn't the defining thing in your life. God is. It was for him and the Ezraite, and it can be for you too. Will you choose him because of who he is? Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for these psalms, difficult and dark as they are. 
You, Holy Spirit, use them to show us light. Light that cannot be extinguished. Light that overcomes darkness. And so I pray that as we walk in this time and in this place in the world and in the circumstances that are unique to each of our lives, we would see that there is, in fact, one who is greater than the darkness, who understands the darkness we walk in and who walks with us. Help us like Heman to pray and not to whine, to obey and to worship and not to give up. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.